You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We are Canada's number one tech radio program. And we've got uh, a great show for you today. We're going to talk about Wi-Fi. We use it in our homes, businesses, coffee shops. Well, there's uh, a new standard coming out. They've actually renumbered the whole Wi-Fi uh, system uh, to just simple numbers like five, six, seven. Wi-Fi 7 is uh, hitting the road here soon. And we will uh, be telling you all about it, what it does differently, when you need to care about it, and just kind of a little background on, on how to improve some of the, uh, the Wi-Fi reception in your home. We will also be talking about Taiwanese tech as well. Taiwan, uh, a big uh, tech country, will uh, talk about uh, some of the, the industries and companies that are coming out of there. Let's go to some of the news, John. Uh, we're talking so much about AI lately, uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, there's a, another program here. It's called Notion, and it uses AI to automatically write your blog posts, job descriptions, and poetry. Does it work well? Well, it's, uh, it's in an alpha release right now, and it's a private alpha, so only a handful of people have had a chance to play with it. But it's a really interesting tool in the sense that it is looking at different ways to sort of kickstart those writer's block issues you might have if you have to write a lot of stuff. And it can give you like a nice framework, and or you could give it a, a starting point, and it can start writing more for you to sort of help fill in those gaps that you might have. I find this incredible that it can even punch out something vaguely coherent, don't you? <laughs> yeah. I, I really wonder where it's getting its source material. Uh, one of the the sample um, uh, sort of blog posts that it was, it was doing was all about uh, the state of the smartwatch industry. And it actually, you know, most of the paragraphs were pretty good. It was a little out of date on a couple things because again, you know, it doesn't know about a bleeding edge thing that was just released, for example. But you know, for the most part, it actually kind of made sense. So you're telling me it actually did its own kind of research as well, as far as content. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, for other things like if you have to write like a say an email that you're trying to sell something, or a mailing list, for example, like we have, right? You could literally just punch in some keywords and press go, and it you know, write a fairly interesting uh, email about that particular product or service. So does this thing cost money? Uh, it probably will. Yeah, it'll be a subscription service that you pay for to have access to this. And the thing, the interesting thing about all of these AI-based apps is that the more they're used, the better they get. God, I wish they had some of these tools when I was a kid, John. Do you, <laughs> do you remember when we had to write all those reports in high school and university? Like... That took forever. Now, now there's all these tools that kind of, kind of kickstart it for you. Yeah, I, I, I think we should be careful here. This isn't going to replace the need to write a report in school, <laughs> but this will give you maybe some uh, Cole's notes versions to start with, and then you can go in and sort of work on it a little bit more yourself. The the thing that's really interesting is you can actually give it certain things like tone or like a certain angle or even a style of writing, and it'll write it in that style. Let's move on to another story. Uh, I mean, we've talked a lot about Twitter. John, I don't want to talk about Twitter today because <laughs> it's still crazy town there. But uh, a lot of the tech giants have been laying off thousands, if not tens of thousands of people. Facebook slash Meta, that's kind of their name now, Meta. It's the parent company. They laid off 11,000 people, 
And uh, a big chunk of that was, I think, Mark Zuckerberg's kind of heavy bet on the metaverse, you know, literally pouring billions of dollars into developing uh, that whole arena. And it just, you know, obviously hasn't come to fruition yet. Uh, I think he's trying to please investors now. And he's basically coming out and saying that WhatsApp and Messenger are going to be the next big revenue generators. What's your take on it? Well, I mean, it's it's definitely an interesting play because we, we you and I both know that the uh, the VR space, the metaverse, if you will, uh, doesn't generate a lot of money for Meta. It's um, you know, there's the odd, the odd game that you might want to purchase, but for the most part, people are looking for free content. They've already invested in the headsets, and so having something else that's separate from all that that is controllable is much more of a uh, understandable space like WhatsApp or messaging, uh, that makes a lot of sense. And we've seen with um, other companies like WeChat in in uh, Asian com- countries, they use these apps for everything. And so just like, you know, the app stores that get a cut of all the transactions for apps that are sold, I could see Meta wanting to monetize certain things in WhatsApp so that every time you do something, they get a little piece of it. So whether you're using that app to pay for something, to buy concert tickets or whatever, they're going to want to take a piece of that. The uh, the meta side of the company, uh, they call it the Reality Labs, has lost, John, I think over $9.4 billion alone this year so far. And like how, yeah. how, how much longer can they keep bleeding that kind of money before the investors revolt? I'm actually surprised it's lasted this long because that's a lot of money. And, you know, you and I have been in the VR space for a while and we haven't seen a lot of progress. You know, there's certain things that we really love about it, but uh, the other things, the things that are really kind of what they're hanging their hat on as far as the metaverse being this place for people to gather and, and spend time and go shopping and do things just hasn't materialized yet to spend billions of dollars on that space uh, without any payback just seems mind numbing that they would allow that to continue from an investor point of view. I don't think they have, you know, if you look at the stock price uh, compared to uh, January, as of early November, the stock price had plummeted 72%. And that is, that is a staggering drop that, you know, investors obviously are not ignoring. So I can see why Zuckerberg is uh, trying to tout some of these other potential revenue generating what he thinks is our opportunities. But like how much money can they make from WhatsApp and Messenger without polluting those? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Are you going to start sticking a bunch of ads in WhatsApp? Like, Exactly, right? Because that's where they make the most money is advertising. So, um, But it's a transactional space that I think is really interesting because I think that's where a lot of companies are trying to monetize that because it's not as um, obvious to the end user that they're being charged for something because it's kind of hidden in those fees, right? Uh, versus a blatant subscription model or you know pay to get photos and videos in your WhatsApp, that kind of thing. That, w- that would be very uh, negative as far as an experience for the consumer. Well, we'll have to see how it all goes. I mean, he obviously bet huge on, on the metaverse. I mean, he kind of doubled down on it uh, earlier this year, having huge company-wide uh, meeting and just, you know, the direction of it all. But uh, is it too, too soon, John? Are we five years away, 10 years away? from anything 
meaningful, some killer app that would make people go, I've got to get a headset and, and get into the metaverse. Does Apple have to jump in on this? Well, I think a lot of people are kind of waiting to see what Apple does in this space, you know, AR or VR. It doesn't really matter if they're doing a headset that could be the future. Well, there is a lot of rumors about a mixed reality headset coming from Apple in the new year. But again, we've heard these types of rumors before, kind of like the Apple car. I've heard that for years now and haven't really seen any hide nor hair of uh, that. But uh, we will uh, have to keep on top of that. Uh, This is something that we talked about, John, uh, when we visited the big Amazon convention earlier this year. They're really getting heavy into space and uh, they've actually put Alexa in the Artemis mission. It's the, the astronauts can use Alexa on the space trip when they do go up eventually. Which is pretty cool, but I don't think they're going to be getting packages delivered on the moon. <laughs> no, no. Like, and how far can it go, right? Like, Alexa, we have a problem. It, like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, obviously it's a handy, hands free tool to get some information but um my question is why we we are going to be going to uh, a big amazon conference uh, coming up uh, in about a week and a half uh, the big amazon invent conference down in las vegas so we're going to be following up on some of the more of the latest developments uh, with that but do you think it's necessary to have voice assistance in space Uh, well i mean is it necessary to have it in your kitchen (laughs) Like, I, I imagine it's probably useful to astronauts so they can have their hands free while they're doing other tasks and change the music that they're listening to or initiate a call back to Houston or wherever they have to talk to. Well, it's interesting because the Amazon engineers, uh, obviously, because they're in space, uh, the cloud is a little more difficult to, <laughs> as you can imagine, access, right? So apparently they had to develop a localized uh, version of it for the spacecraft itself. Which makes a lot of sense to reduce that round trip time back to the server. It's, uh, it's kind of crazy. We do have a lot to talk about on today's Get Connected. We're going to be getting into the whole Wi-Fi world again. There's uh, a new standard coming out called Wi-Fi 7. You should know about it. Uh, you know, more and more of our devices are wireless in our homes. We've got all these smart robots and vacuums and smart switches and lights. And because of all that, you do need to have a robust uh, a Wi-Fi router. With uh, the new one, we'll tell you uh, what the scoop is, why you might need it when it's coming out, and uh, some basic tips on how to improve the overall Wi-Fi connections uh, in your home. You're listening to Get Connected here in the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Time to talk Wi-Fi. We all use it. Gives us uh, wireless uh, internet in our homes, shopping malls, offices. Well, Wi-Fi routers at uh, home, I've uh, got uh, like a mesh network, so they've got little nodes in my house to kind of extend it. Yes. Best thing I ever did. Yes. So I have no dead spots anymore. Me too. So back in the early days... They gave stupid names to the different standards. When it was first out, I forget even the beginning, but like there'd be terms like 802.11b. And A, and G, and N. And AE, and yeah. and what have you. They still have that. Those names are still out there from a nerdy perspective, but the Wi-Fi, I guess, standards... Alliance. Alliance decided to make it a little more friendly. So they, they just kind of cut all that stupid numbering out. 
they hired in a marketing company probably <laughs> <laughs> totally so now you know we're looking at like wi-fi 6 and 6e and now the latest is wi-fi 7 right and it's it's confusing john well it is because it's not it's not immediately obvious what your device even supports no the good thing is when you get these new routers they're always backwards compatible so to a point to a point your stuff is going to typically work but to get the full advantage if you were to go out and buy a new wi-fi 7 router they're not available yet but they're coming very shortly uh if you want to take full advantage of all the features and the speed and and what have you your device that you're hooking it up to whether that's a laptop phone smart home device robot vacuum they have to have wi-fi 7 capability as well right they can have older standards but you're not going to get the full experience right as far as speed so it was interesting with wi-fi 6 and earlier um they supported two wireless bands yes or frequencies 2.4 gigahertz that was the initial one when they first came out yeah and i mean it was amazing right you had wireless internet but the problem with the 2.4 frequency 2.4 gigahertz frequency is that microwaves use it video game controllers use it cordless phones use it there is like a lot of competition or interference in the home especially if you live in a apartment building or a condo building oh dear god like all your neighbors are interfering with your wi-fi yes so then they came out with later standards that also included another frequency the five gigahertz frequency and that was good because not to be confused with 5g nope five gigahertz not 5g and that was great because that was kind of uh given the ability to i guess have less competition less interference and that's been good for many years but the challenge now is that every device coming out in your home is is smart enabled the light switches you buy a new stove or a washing machine is wi-fi robot roomba vacuums like i i literally have i think 70 devices that are in my network in my home now it's important that we point out that a lot of these smart devices or IoT, Internet of Things devices, typically are underpowered when it comes to Wi-Fi. Yes. Your robot vacuum, your smart light bulb, those types of things are probably not going to support Wi-Fi 7. No. They're going to be requiring an older protocol to work. So why would you want a new router? You know, things are working fine. I typically recommend a new router if it's, more than several years old, especially if it's five years or older. Well, I think a lot of people, they can do a quick speed test to see what the internet speed is in their house on their phone or a tablet uh, in their house, but then maybe try the same test somewhere else that you know has really good internet. Yeah. Like maybe at the office or maybe a coffee shop that's not very busy or something like that. The Just, you know, you can't really tell you're having a problem until you see how good it is on the other side. So the reason you want some of these newer routers is because of how many devices you have in your home. If you start installing more smart home devices, that starts really clogging up yeah. the bandwidth. There's going to start being interference yeah, and competition for that spectrum. So what some people do, though, is they actually will have two routers. Yeah. They'll have one just for those smart devices 
plugged in via Ethernet to their actual modem. Yes. And then they'll have another device set up for a much higher bandwidth, like the 5G spectrum, uh, so that their computers, their video game consoles, whatever, have as much bandwidth as possible. Exactly. But again, the challenge is, like I said, I have 70 devices in my home. And when you get these newer routers, they're able to support more devices, like dozens, sometimes hundreds of different devices, so that everything is working properly. Because it's not just your laptop and these smart home devices, it's all your TVs. TVs. Right? Your Xboxes. They're all, they're all connected on the network. Most of them are, are, are Wi-Fi. You're streaming huge amounts of data. And if you have family in your house, every one of them that has a smartphone, that phone's on the Wi-Fi 24-7. Exactly. iPads. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's why you want to look at these, these newer routers like a Wi-Fi 6, 6E, or a Wi-Fi 7. We are going to have to take a break. When we come back, we're going to tell you what the difference is between some of these, these newer standards and why you'd want to look at the new ones and, and what advantage they're going to give you as far as the, the speed and you know, the different types of things you can hook up to them. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike and John here. We've been talking Wi-Fi. It's everywhere. And do you have good enough Wi-Fi in your home? I would say that a lot of people would say no. I think a lot of people just use whatever their service provider has provided. It's gotten better though, don't you think? Like, N- No. You don't think so? No. Okay. I mean, I, I'm... I, I'm, <laughs> I'm saying that to be nice, but I haven't used one for years. No, no. I mean, I last year I made the jump to a fiber network. Yes. I won't name the company. Okay. But they provide, and, and all the companies do this, they provide you know a, a line to your house and then sometimes they will provide these little, kind of like their own version of a mesh network. Yeah, little nodes you can put around right. your house. And some are bigger than others and some, it depends on your house. And you tried this? Well, I still have it yeah. in, in parallel, but I don't use it. It's my backup network. If, okay. if my mesh network goes down for some reason, Yeah. which it's gone down like, once and I just had to reboot the router yeah. after not having to touch it for like two years. So the one that you got from your internet service provider, you don't even use? No, because no. it's it's not consistent. It const- really? constantly locks up. Really? Yeah. Why would they do that? Like, isn't that a, like a support headache? I would imagine so, yeah. I mean, again, there's a lot of variables that can make things work or not work. Yeah. My house in particular is a little weird in the sense that I have a three-level townhouse and they could only put the modem in the garage. <laughs> and so they, they basically had to put the repeaters on every floor so they talk to each other as a big mesh network. And that's the problem with routers, right? It's always in some basement or corner of the house. Right, because a lot of, I mean, my place isn't new, but it's not that old. But they're never designing these houses for and routing these services uh, to your house in a certain way that is you know, makes sense. Yeah. But my mesh network fixed all the problems I had before. But the thing is, anytime you are relying on a wireless network that's going through like your laundry room and the washer and dryer or the fridge or any big appliances, yeah. any big, you know, wall features in your house, a big mirror or something like that, that's all going to degrade your Wi-Fi. So that's why you have to put these little mesh nodes. Or nodes everywhere. So we've been talking about some of the standards and some, the latest one would be Wi-Fi 6. 
Like all the all the iPhones and Android phones have that. Well, I think I think in the last two years we've got six E. Yeah, but is that is that in the iPhones? I can't even remember anymore. I can't keep up. No. So Wi-Fi six kind of it's kind of the standard right now. Would you agree? I, yeah. Yeah. So Wi-Fi they've done a variant called Wi-Fi six E just to confuse people. A variant. It sounds like a disease or something. <laughs> Deviant variant. Well, what the advantage of six E is that it opens up a whole new frequency. So we talked about like 2.4 gigahertz, 5 gigahertz. So these are two separate freeways, essentially for your devices to get on. And so now they've added a third, the 6 gigahertz frequency. Yes. Which is great because it, again, opens up more spectrum for your devices to hook up on. But again, the challenge is you got to have devices that support 6E to take advantage of that. Yeah. And the trouble is that's going to be no problem for the latest devices, like typically laptops and, you know, the smartphones. They're kind of always at the forefront of supporting the latest Wi-Fi standard. The problem is a lot of the smart home stuff, they're not as quick. Well, and a lot of the smart home tech is based off of much older tech that's gotten really cheap. That's why you can buy a light bulb for a couple dollars. Totally. That's smart. So... What's interesting now is Wi-Fi 7. TP-Link has announced a new router. And it's so funny how expensive these things are now, John. Like, I remember back in the day when the Wi-Fi routers were first coming out. It was like a race to the bottom. Like, could you get a Wi-Fi router for $40 or $50? This new TP-Link one, the Wi-Fi 7, it's like 800 US. Yeah. But that's for the bleeding edge people that want the most bandwidth possible. Nerds, gamers. The thing is, there's very few things that can actually support that standard. Yeah, because the devices that you're connecting have to have that Wi-Fi 7. Again, it's backwards compatible, but if you want to take advantage of the full speed. So what's different about this? It's got the three frequencies, but what's interesting is that it can actually combine two of the frequencies, the 5 and the 6 gigahertz, together to increase the power which will be good in a few years. Right. And that's the problem, right? Well, it's interesting though, because this, just this past week, uh, there was a big conference uh, for um, the makers of the Snapdragon processor. Yes. Which is pretty much in most, um, I would say for sure most Android devices, it's the system on a chip. It's the, it's the whole package. It's the Wi-Fi, it's the Bluetooth, it's the computer, it's the GPU, all those things in one place. Their new one, the Snapdragon 8 Gen 2, has Wi-Fi 7 included. On a stick? No, like it's it's going to be in the next versions of Android phones. Probably, oh, got it, okay. Probably early next year. Okay. Yeah, so if you get a new phone next year, and I don't know, you know, Apple will typically be in the fall, so maybe the iPhone 15 will support uh, Wi-Fi 7, but definitely in the new year, there'll be Android devices that will support it. Probably some handheld consoles and things like that as well. So again, we talked about the Wi-Fi 7. Uh, TP-Link's got a new router that's uh, coming out, uh, part of their uh, Archer line, the B900. And high speeds again, but you have to have devices that support Wi-Fi 7. It can link two of those channels together, like a device can connect to two at the same time if it's got Wi-Fi 7. Yeah. There, there's no harm in being over for this. Like, no. Whatever device you put on it, if it's not a Wi-Fi 7 device, it's still going to be very good and very efficient. Exactly. And it'll be able to handle dozens 
of devices at the same time. This one, it's something you should look for as well in routers. It is mesh compatible. Yes. So it kind of looks, I mean, it's, it looks like some sort of space thing, but it, it has the capability. You can expand it with Wi-Fi mesh nodes. And we're seeing that more and more with routers these days. And you know what? It's a must-have, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, you, you have to get a router that supports that. Don't get an extender. No, those are... Jump. No. Yeah. It's like the AMC pacer of, <laughs> of, of Wi-Fi. Wow, that's a pretty interesting reference. It's old. I get it. Okay, we are going to have to take a break here on Get Connected. Uh, when we come back, we are going to be uh, chatting uh, about senior living technology, being able to monitor seniors' health and well-being without all the doodads wirelessly. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with the program. Mike and John here. Uh, we obviously love technology, John. And when you think technology, where does it come from? Asia. Asia, yeah. That's kind of the, the, the manufacturing uh, part of uh, the world. Uh, a lot of it, though, uh, kind of uh, resides in Taiwan as well. If you look at a lot of the big uh, semiconductor companies and uh, the manufacturing producers, uh, the Foxcons of the world, they have headquarters in, in Taiwan. And then they make it all happen, whether that's shipped off to Asia or Singapore or, or what have you. Uh, we're going to explore a little bit of that. We've got an interesting guest on the line. His name is Charlie Wu. And uh, he's a man behind of a bunch of things happening here, uh, you know, locally, the Society uh, of uh, We Are Canadians, too. He's involved with the Jade Music Festival. Thanks for joining us today, Charlie. Thanks for having me, uh, John and Mike, and uh, really a great honor to be on your show. Uh, so, yeah, we, we've been kind of exploring the whole Taiwan um, angle. Um, you know, there it is a technology hub when you think about it. John, uh, I've been to the uh, Computex uh, big tech show. Uh, they have that uh, on a yearly basis. I'm hoping to, uh, or we're hoping to go uh, again to check that out. Uh, but it really is amazing um, how much tech kind of starts in Taiwan, isn't it? Why, why is that? Well, you know, I uh, I can share a bit about my own family history. My my father started as a manufacturer, uh, and you know they were sort of the factory of the world. They were making a lot of stuff uh, for the world. And you know Terry Fox, uh, Terry uh, Terry Kuo from uh, Foxconn was actually my father's generation. You know they were making tons of stuff. Uh, however, you know the transformation when the 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 conventional ch- manufacturing shifted to China, you know Taiwan started making more advanced stuff. And I think uh, uh, TSM, TSMC was, you know, a part of that uh, generation. And and they were, I mean, I, I heard Morris Chain talk about uh, TSMC one, one time and it was really kind of stuck with me for a long time. You know, he said that um, uh, TSMC trying to discover the problem and trying to find solution for these problems before the problems actually happen, you know that, that's a that's a that's a great line that I I kind of you know remember for a long time and and the the environment in Taiwan is such you know it's almost like a college campus that you know the you know the small uh, small medium uh, enterprises uh, they they always work together and they try to not necessarily in competition but they. You know, there's that that cultural collaboration in, within Taiwan. So, you know, for things that need quick fix, uh, you know, things that need the collaboration, Taiwan is actually very good in that. And so, so it's a, it's that kind of environment that allowed uh, TSMC to do so well. And it's 
such a competitive advantage, it's really hard to 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 find elsewhere in the world. If you're trying to solve a solution, I mean, solve a problem in in the U.S., you probably you know will take a few days before people get to each other. But in Taiwan, you can get it done. You know, basically within hours and 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 days uh, to um, to get that done. So it's it's actually you know if people look closely. So a lot of these big brands, you know, you can actually discover Taiwan behind these brands. So uh, it's it's a supportive supportive role that Taiwan has been, and I think that's what is so unique about Taiwan being uh, being the, the, the a trustworthy partner for a lot of uh, brands in the world. Uh, again, you're talking about TSMC. Uh, that uh, actually stands for the Taiwan uh, Semiconductor Manufacturing Company. Uh, but you know, to your point about um, you know making those changes quickly, uh, I went on a uh, on a tour back uh, a few years ago uh, with MSI, you know, the big laptop and gaming computer company. You know, they've got their headquarters in Taiwan. Uh, and they manufacture a lot of stuff, uh, I think, um, outside of Shanghai, uh, you know, in China. But, you know, visiting the factories there, John, it was incredible. Like, they can just punch, you know, I was watching the assembly line. Uh, you know, they have people, you know, putting the circuit boards and stuff on. And, um, you know, it, it was it was going along. And uh, I asked, because I thought, you know, they're talking about how many computers they could push through in an hour. I'm like, I don't know if the thing is going fast enough for that. <laughs> and I asked one of the, the people, like, is this the regular speed? And they're like, no, we slow it down for, for you so you can see what's going on. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. apparently five times faster. Uh, but what I was fascinated by, I said, you know, how long does it take you to, uh, you know, if you come up with another model that you want to make, like, how long does it take for you to change you know, the, the, the factory line and they're like one hour, like that's how quick, Yeah, which was yeah. D- just amazing. And you know, that J- Jensen, Jensen Huang of NVIDIA, you know, he, he actually created it, uh, TSMC for making NVIDIA what it is today. And, and, uh, you know, everything is, is AI nowadays. And if we are going to have a future, uh, life all based on AI, then you need that, that fast, uh, uh speed behind all these machines. Yep. And, I th- and I think that's what uh, TSMC brings to people. Yeah, yeah and, and NVIDIA, again, another huge chip manufacturer. I, I think when people think of chips, they think of like Intel, you know, for example, or AMD. But NVIDIA, uh, they make very powerful uh, processors and graphics chips, you know, for the video cards. But uh, their chips are in everything. They're in like cars and, and, and everything you can think of as well. And, you know, when you brought up the point as far as um, AI, um, that is another f- thing that's coming to the forefront now. Yeah, and and you know uh, Foxconn, you know, got into the um, uh, you know the the smart cars and uh, and a lot of um, automations, you know, that uh, that we're talking about smart communities, smart homes, and those are all AIs. And and I think um, uh, there's there's also uh, you know uh, Delta Electronics from Taiwan that actually are the backbone for all these uh, very very fancy names out there like five Gs and things. But without these uh, support, uh, you know, the, you know, we, we can really be there. So I think, um, that's the kind of environment that Taiwan has actually provided, uh, for, for these, uh, big, you know, big high tech companies. Yeah. And I think they're probably in a good position, the country itself, just, I mean, there's crazy politics happening over in Asia, uh, right now. Uh, and I think Taiwan, you know, obviously is seen as kind of a, a safe place for a lot of these Western countries and, and companies to, to do business with. 
Yeah, and, and, and it's funny that uh, many Taiwanese people uh, call TSMC as the, you know, sort of the safeguard for Taiwan, you know, because it's so important. Everybody relies on TSMC for their uh, high-tech economy or, or for their, for their you know, the, the, the backbone of their economy. So, you know, TF, TSMC becomes that that uh, that safeguard, you know, so t- China doesn't want to do too much and and, and can really afford to uh, make TSMC uh, in in such a uh, position that uh, may may actually uh, collapse the world economy. So, so it, in a way, TSMC became you know a, uh, a very interesting uh, position for Taiwan. You don't need military to defend Taiwan. You probably need uh, TSMC to be there to safeguard Taiwan. <laughs> We're talking uh, with Charlie Wu uh, all about uh, Taiwan and uh, their technology uh, expertise. Uh, b- before we uh, we leave here, Charlie, uh, maybe just a quick uh, uh, shout out to what you do with the Jade Music Festival and and, and how that uh, helps aspiring artists here. Sure. So, I mean, from you know what we do uh, as a as a community organization, we try to build a platform that allows uh, uh, the local artists to to actually. Uh, you know, uh, to be to be doing what they do, and so back in 2018, we did a study about Amplified uh, BC in Asia, and and then we learned about how many Chinese uh, language music artists actually couldn't do it here, couldn't make uh, their career in in Canada. They had to go to Asia and then become huge stars. So we we, lo- we lose all those connections uh, uh, over the over the years. So we thought it's it's kind of nice to be able to make um, uh, you know, BC as the the, the, the folk of the hub for Chinese language music in North America, since we have such a population. And we also have um, and the diversity that, that, you know, Asia doesn't have. You know, we have a lot of mixed race uh, people that has uh, the Chinese speaking uh, heritage. And, and so we probably have a unique position to offer uh, Chinese language music, uh, uh, which is actually quite uh, popular and is very doing quite well around the world. But Canada hasn't really taken advantage of it. So we thought this J Music Festival can help uh, us to to elevate the the, uh, the Chinese language music right here in uh, in Canada. Uh, what's the website for that for people to find out more info? Yeah, jmfa.ca. It's perfect. Charlie, uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you today, and uh, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks, John and Mike. Thank you. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Don't forget to listen to our sister show, The App Show, on every Sunday across the Chorus Radio Network and uh, right after the show in Toronto. Our website, getconnectedmedia.com. On The App Show tomorrow, it's uh, Press Reader, my favorite news and magazine app, and uh, also The Digital Divide. How great is it here in Canada? We'll see you again next time.